Hi, welcome to True Creeps, where the stories are true and the creeps are real. We'll cover stories from grotesque gore to the possibly plausible paranormal, to horrifying history, to tense and terrible true crime, and everything else that goes bump in the night. We're your hosts, Amanda, and I'm Lindsay, and we want you to join us while we creep. We cover mature topics. Listener discretion is advised. Hello. Welcome to our second Mothman episode. Yay. I'm so excited. (laughs) More creepers in the windows. Yeah, we're loving it. So in our first episode about Mothman, we talked about the first sightings of him in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. And today we're covering more sightings and disasters. Before we get into too much, we just want to, as always, lay the groundwork for how everybody describes Mothman. It's a very simple physical description that seems to be the common factors. And that's a a human-like figure with big-ass wings Mm -hmm. and glowing reddish eyes. Beautiful magnificent i really want to go to the mothman festival this year i'm hoping i'm actually going to call the hotel to see if i'm writing a note (laughs) mothman will i know what that means later we'll find out (laughs) so one of the reasons we're going to talk about disasters is because a lot of people wonder if there was a bridge collapse in point pleasant whether he was the cause was trying to be a warning or whether he just happens to be around when big bad things are happening. And so we'll talk about the sightings with him as well as like the disasters themselves. Before we do that, we're going to talk about non-disastrous sightings. And the first one is in 1880, which is quite a while before the Point Pleasant business. Yeah. But it was in Coney Island, New York, and it was written about in the New York Times. Interesting. And someone described a creature that looked like a man with frog legs and bat wings. And its face wasn't clear, but it had a mean expression. I mean, how would it not have a mean expression? I mean, for surezies. And its flight movements were similar to how a frog jumps. Okay. Okay. And what I find really interesting about that is have you ever seen a bat crawl? Um, you know, I do follow a lot of bat TikToks. So when Ben and I lived in Florida, first off, Ben is afraid of frogs. Let's start there. He'll say he's not. He is. He doesn't like how unpredictable they can be. And the fact they could just jump anywhere. I love them. They're so cute. I know. I'm with you. I have a love on Frogman tattoo. I'm clearly pro frog. He will deny this fear, but it doesn't make it true nonetheless. But so we were outside of his condo in Jacksonville. And there was this thing hopping. And I was like, I think that's a frog. Because the way it was moving was it was moving like a frog. But it was a fucking bat. And we didn't know anything about bats. So Ben, like, picked it up and, like, cuddled it. And it was, like, crawling all over him. And when we took it to, like, a nature reserve the next day, and they were like, you didn't, like, hold this, right? And he was like, why do you ask? And they were like, because you definitely shouldn't because you can get diseases. He was like, it's a little too late for that now, isn't it? Like, he was like holding it like on his chest and like nuzzling it because it was like (laughs) so fucking cute. And it was like, help me. And it wasn't afraid. It was like happy to be in his hands, it seemed. What a dream. But anyway, all that to say that I could see how like bat and frog movements are similar. Yeah. Interesting. So we're going to talk 
about Chicago because there's a lot of sightings in Chicago. And in future episodes, we might include more because there's just so many. And one of the people who has really aggregated these is a man named Lon Strickler. And for our Chicago section today, we relied really heavily on his website. And in the future, when we talk about more Chicago sightings, because there's so many, like maybe we'll do an episode where we're just like talking about more Chicago sightings because they're fascinating to me. And because Lon actually wonders whether there's more than one Mothman or flying humanoid creature in Chicago because there's so many sightings. Well, he'd be so lonely if he was alone. He needs friends. Yeah, he needs a moth partner. Yeah. Or whatever, whatever kind of creature he wants. But Lon runs a blog titled Phantoms and Monsters, and there's like an incredible amount of research on it. There's even a map of where the sightings have been, and like you can like click on it and it'll pull up like the text of the sighting, which is really neat. And most people like people rely on his research because it is so detailed and because he doesn't just like take experiences and put them on his website. He'll often like research them and follow up with people. And his research has been featured on Ancient Aliens, Paranormal Witness, Fact or Faked, Paranormal Files, Destination America's Monsters and Mysteries in America. He's from central Pennsylvania, but he lived in Baltimore before moving back home after 40 years. And when I saw that he lived in Baltimore, I immediately asked my dad if he knew him because it sounds like somebody who my dad would have known. Yeah. And he was like, I haven't heard of him. And I was like, I am very surprised at this. He probably has heard of his work, but not necessarily him. No, he was like, I have no clue who this is. Oh, wow. Mothman, I think my dad's like, mm, I don't know how much he likes cryptids. But the map that Lon has is Chicago and Lake Michigan, which is very interesting. So let's fast forward to September 30th of 2011. A man describes an encounter that he had with the creature. His roommate was getting ready when she saw a pair of glowing orange eyes staring at her through a window. Let's just say the window was kind of tinted. The red looked orange, right? She recollected feeling absolute terror and she was feeling like she might have been prey. In our first episode, we also talked about a man who recollected like that feeling of dread. Yeah. When he saw Mothman. I feel like that also comes up a lot. Yeah, but like something staring in your window already should give you that terror feeling, I would say, right? Yeah, I also, I don't know why, but whenever someone's like, something was staring in my window, I'm always like, what floor were you on? <laughs> They're like, the fourth floor. <laughs> You're like, that's the definitive section of like, are we creeped out or are we terrified? Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. So he left her room in order to go answer the phone. When he walked back past her room, he saw glowing red eyes looking through the window at them. So again, red, orange, somewhere in there. So the same person who did the report also talked to a friend who was on their way over to their house. I'm assuming when he went to go answer the phone. And they actually also saw a creature. And they described it as looking like a massive bat with glowing red eyes perched on a basketball hoop. So three different people saw something super creepy in the same area. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm not liking it. No. So then let's move to October 14th of 2011. A person who was from Tasmania, but was attending the University of Chicago, described a creature that had a silhouette of a massive sugar glider about 10 feet above them. And it also had glowing red eyes. Have you ever pet a sugar glider before? They're so soft. They're such a treat. Like, they're too pure for this world. Also, I need you to know that the main place I have seen sugar gliders is at a, I wouldn't call it a pet store, but there's a flea market that has a pet section. Okay. 
and there's sugar gliders in there. And I feel like that's where I normally see them. But I also saw one on a tiny leash on someone's shoulder once. Adorable. I was trying to talk Mike into one for years. But then we realized that they kind of take to one person. And it seemed like a very difficult pet once we looked into it. Yeah, that doesn't sound like an ideal pet for like a person who lives with other people. You don't want a pet that's only going to like one of you. Like all of our cats prefer Ben as evidenced by the fact that literally all of them are laying on Ben right now. We have four cats. They're upstairs laying on like different parts of his body. <laughs> no, uh. I've wanted, you know, like every pet that you can have at certain points. I still want all of them. But years ago, we actually went to get a chinchilla. We went Mm. with like, this is what we're getting. It was going to be our first pet together. And uh, I got there and I tried to hold it. And I was like, I am going to lose this thing. This thing will jump out of my hands. It will be loose somewhere. Mm -hmm. I cannot mentally accept that I lost a pet that way. So we left with a Russian tortoise instead. She can't jump out of my hands and run away. I mean, you're not wrong. I like that you weren't like, let's get like a cat. Well, I already had two dogs at the time. Oh, so they weren't your first pet. Okay, it was your first pet together. First pet together. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, I've had dogs since like the moment I realized what a dog was. (laughs) My babies. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was our first pet together, which was, I don't know, like 2006, I want to say. But yeah, we still have our tortoise. She is hibernating right now. I know I go out there every day and check and I'm like, has she moved? Does she need anything? (laughs) What do you need? What do you need? Uh, Can we also just going back to this, though, the idea of like a massive sugar glider with red glowing eyes just like above your head. I mean, that's terrifying. I would let out an otherworldly scream if I saw that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So... In 2017, in Chicago, there were more than 55 flying human-like creature sightings in Chicago. When Lon Strickler describes them, he calls them flying humanoid. People describe the creatures as being large and black, having glowing red eyes, looking like a big owl or a gothic gargoyle. And some people just flat out said Mothman. And what did people see this creature doing? Are you ready to be alarmed? Absolutely. Okay. Jumping on the hoods of cars. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry if you hear my cat eating. He had a vet appointment. So here we are. And he's drugged and has to eat in front of me. Anyway. Okay. What do people see Mothman doing? Jumping on the hood of cars. I don't like that. He can't be that light, right? Oh, yeah. They're for sure sees having dents in them. Yes. Yes. Looking into people's houses. Never liked that. You know, I don't. I don't like it. And I just feel like, why is he a peeping cryptid? You know? I don't know. Flying down at people. (laughs) I mean, it must be fun to scare people. It must be. But like, I envision in my head, I don't know why this is the the view that I have. Have you ever seen the movie The Birds with Tippi Hedren? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm imagining the scene where she's like in that green outfit, but it's Mothman. <laughs> well, maybe if there's more of them, they could do that. Well, and in Chicago, since there's more than one, possibly, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there we go. Yeah. Jumping off the Sears Tower. Okay. And a police officer said he saw a lean and tall creature jump off a building and then fly away. Interesting. There's also a man named John Amatrano, and he was working security at the Owl when he saw something flying bizarrely underneath a plane. 
And he said that it looked like a pterodactyl (laughs) because of the shape of its head. Yes. And the way its wings were shaped. And remember that in Bridgewater (laughs) Triangle, we talked about people seeing pterodactyls. In the forest. Yes. Yes. Also our first TikTok. And that's all I think of now is the stupid fucking pterodactyl like flying erratically. Part of me wishes that we would have kept that as our only TikTok. Like just that one forever. (laughs) Like just that single one. That's all you're going to get. It's not much. Yeah. Maybe when you're here, we can make some TikToks. I say like we're actually going to do that. We're absolutely not. No. We're not. We're not. We're not going to do that. We'll say we're going to, but we won't. We have such good plans for it. We try. Maps.google.com. I have a note to do this, but I didn't do it before we recorded. Uh, Free Town State Forest Directions, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. Okay, it's a 15-hour drive, but I would have to imagine that would be a much shorter pterodactyl flight, right? Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, they don't have to take roads. Mm-hmm. So just going, I mean, it's kind of like a straight shot yeah. over. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's just east. I definitely think it's the same creature. Same pterodactyl. Same pterodactyl. So John said it flew unlike anything he'd ever seen and didn't appear to have feathers or fur and said that it flew in a strange swooping motion, undulating up and down. He also said that it had a shape that was like similar to a human, muscular legs, and a tailbone that extended out. Ooh. Are we unsettled yet? <laughs> yeah, always. So for this next report that happened on April 15th of 2017, the person who reported this said that they got to work around 2 a.m. and that they were walking into work when they saw four to five men staring up at the sky. He looked up to see what they were you know, looking at, because that's weird. And they saw something that was a foot taller than the man was. He was about 6'2". Okay, okay. It had bright yellowish red eyes, which I don't think those go together. Like, is it orange then? That makes me think of like when you see like an animal in the night and you kind of move and its eyes seem kind of like a different color. Okay, with the light maybe? Mm-hmm. The creature hovered for a moment before some of the guys started throwing rocks at it. Because what else do you do when you see something is throw fucking rocks at it? I hate people. I hate people. I know. Hey, that thing's massive. Let's fuck with it. Right, right. Or like the fact that they have to throw something at things. Like if it's not moving or doing what they want, they have to throw things at it. Our species is broken. But anyways, the creature then flew up into the sky quickly, you know, to fucking dodge the rocks from these weirdos. And the guy that reported this said he could hear its wings flap. As it flew away, it let out a screech that sounded like brakes that were spent. Unsettling. Scary. I blame the pterodactyl. You can absolutely hear that sound. Mm -hmm. Same. You know? Same. So let's travel a bit. (laughs) Amanda trying to be a serious podcaster. Well, my cat. Look, look at him. Look at him. He's like, you want to hear this? I'm definitely going to put purse at the end. Okay, so let's travel a bit, you know, to the UK. That's a far flight, though. That is a far flight. So on November 16th of 1963 in Sandling Park, Mervyn Hutchinson and two friends were on their way home from a party. They were in Kent County in the UK, and the trio saw something that looked like an orb-like object that was oval-shaped coming down from the sky. The light hovered above the field and went into the trees. They saw a creature emerge from the craft. It was erratic, shambling, and a quasi-humanoid figure. It waddled towards them, which I love. 
It sounds drunk, doesn't it? It's just, yeah, it is drunk. It can't fly anymore. It had wings, but not a head. (laughs) Maybe they were drunk. Uh, Yeah, maybe. It was about five feet tall and had webbed feet. Interesting. Interesting. A week later, Keith Croucher said that he also saw a similar sounding craft over a local soccer field. Later that same night, both John McColdrick and a friend went to Sandling Park. The pair saw at least three footprints that were 24 inches long by nine inches across. That's a big footprint. Not quite a 12-year-old boy, though. Definitely not. I mean, I think that's, what, a quarter of a 12-year-old boy? <laughs> oh, my God. A quarter of a 12-year-old boy. Hold on. That's 24 inches is, oh, is okay. two feet. That would mean that an eight-foot 12-year-old boy. My math is off. <laughs> <laughs> that's a half a foot. That's a half a... That's a half a 12-year-old boy. Half a 12-year-old boy. Let's see. How? Okay. All right. So half a 12-year-old boy. How tall are they? Let's see. Between four and a half and five and a quarter feet tall. So yeah, like half, a little over half a 12-year-old boy. We only can measure things in 12-year-old boys. Let's see. How much of a man does that weigh? Oh, I don't know. I don't know how the footprint was. Like, was it like a deep footprint? Was it like light like a cat's? Like, I don't know. They didn't describe it. Was it a thick cat? Or thin bear? <laughs> that is the only spectrum. <laughs> so they also saw where foliage had been broken and flattened. Again, back to our TikTok, right? Kind of like something very large had landed on it. So all I think of, again, is that erotic pterodactyl flying around stupidly. As you should. Also, I'm sorry. If you can hear my cat purring, there's no way you can't. He is a baby that is recuperating from a vet visit. So we're going to change gears a little bit and talk a little bit about disasters. And when we say disasters, we mean big, awful things that happened and or situations where there were a lot of deaths. Yeah. Because we're going to have a couple that kind of fall into this bucket. And a lot of the times we don't have a ton of detail on the sightings themselves, but some of these are disasters that you're going to have heard of other ones you haven't but i thought it was an interesting time to kind of like talk about some of these one in particular it's the last one we're going to discuss you've heard of but i just didn't know as much about it and so kind of interesting to see that people are linking these to mothman in some way yeah so the first one we're going to talk about is another bridge collapse and it's the i-35 west bridge collapse in minnesota and the bridge was part of i-35 west and it collapsed on august 1st of 2007 and the eight-lane bridge opened in 1967 after three years of construction and it went over the mississippi river and that 1967 number stuck out to me because i was like why does that date sound familiar and that is the year that the Silver Bridge collapsed in Point Pleasant. Ooh. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It doesn't mean anything, but it's just interesting that this bridge opened the year that that one collapsed. Yeah. The bridge was a truss art bridge, and it was a little after 6 p.m., and the bridge was very full because of rush hour traffic. And again, this is 2007, so a lot of people are commuting. It gave way in the center, likely because of a design flaw. And specifically, there was a thin gusset plate that ripped, and then it stressed out other parts of the bridge, so it continued to collapse. So 13 people died when the bridge fell, and 145 were injured, 22 of which were children. 
Oh. And there was also a school bus full of children that were actually on the bridge. That's horrible. And one of the people who was working on the bus helped get them out, but terrifying. Yeah. So in terms of Mothman sightings, there was a handful of people who said that they saw a large creature near the bridge resembling you know, descriptions of Mothman starting a month before the collapse. So doesn't this kind of remind you of the Nain Rouge in Detroit from our Christmas Monsters 3 episode? A little bit, yeah. He would be seen before something was going to happen. He didn't quite cause the bad thing, but he was like warning. Yeah. Well, and also I think for him it was interesting because he was like a specific geographic lore versus like harbinger of disaster throughout the world. Yeah. Right. Right. And also like I think that any creature that mildly resembles Mothman and is seen near a bad thing, people are like Mothman, just like people are calling in Jersey Devil in Jersey. And calling out of work. Which also, the Jersey Devil, in part, wouldn't be completely off from a Mothman. Ooh. If you're thinking, like, big black-winged creature. Maybe. So, let's talk about a place in Mexico called La Junta. And in 2009, there were over 50,000 lab-confirmed cases of swine flu that resulted in 398 deaths. And that's just in Mexico, by the way. Just in Mexico. Right. Wild. So there's a couple Mothman sightings. Angela Mendez and Viviana Ledezema said that they heard terrifying screeches coming from an apple orchard located near the cemetery. Perfect. An anonymous student said that they had been chased for 15 minutes straight by the creature on March 6th of 2009. That's a bad fucking day. That is a bad day. And I absolutely would remember the date. 15 minutes being chased by something is a very long amount of time. I'd be winded. Winded, right? It's a marathon. <laughs> it's terrifying. I'm so athletic. <laughs> 15 minutes, that's a marathon. <laughs> oh, me. So we're going to move on to a horrific disaster, Fukushima. And I'm sure you've heard of it before. I definitely didn't realize just what had happened. No, like I knew that it was a disaster. I knew it was bad, but I did not know it was this bad. So on March 11th of 2011, Japan experienced a record-breaking earthquake. It was so powerful that it literally caused the earth to shift off its axis. The earthquake wasn't the end of the disaster, though. It triggered a tsunami that devastated areas of Japan and killed more than 18,000 people. A 46-foot wave surged into the reactors of the Fukushima power plant and also damaged the generators that had turned on. When the earthquake hit, the plant shut down the reactors and the emergency generators turned on to keep the reactors cool because they don't cool down immediately. Those in the plant tried to get power on as quickly as possible afterwards so that they could keep the reactors cool. But three of the reactors overheated and the cores were partially melted, meaning there was a nuclear meltdown. I also just want to point out, because we're going to talk about it later, again, that what those generators were trying to do was keep the reactors cool. And what it does is it like circulates water so that it keeps it cool. And if you don't have that circulation, you have big problems. Right. I just want that to like really stick in your head because we'll, we'll get to another example of this. Yeah. So during this, there was also chemical explosions, which led to radioactive material being leaked into the Pacific Ocean and the atmosphere. More than 150,000 people had to evacuate because of radiation. While no one was killed in the power plant itself, dozens of hospital patients died in the evacuation. There appear to be differing opinions on whether there will be long-term effects of the radiation. In 2018, there was one worker 
who had died because of the radiation exposure. So in the town where the plant was, which is called Futaba, they were allowed to return to the plant starting August 30th of 2022 because the evacuation order was finally lifted. However, there were still areas where people haven't been able to return since 2011. Can you imagine that? Just like you're like living your life and someone's like, you have to leave your home and everything you have and you have to get out now and you don't have time to get anything, but you have like a whole ass house with like everything. Yeah, that's so sad. I mean, nothing like that, obviously. But I don't know if you've ever even like been close to an evacuation order. But what goes through your head is scary. Like you you don't know what to do. You don't know how to act quick enough. And you're like, what is it that I actually need versus want? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's completely fair. Like when I lived in Florida, there weren't any major hurricanes and there aren't like weather phenomenons or like environmental things that would cause that. Like in the Southwest, while they might not have hurricanes, there's wildfires. Is that what you've experienced? Yeah, the wildfires. It was a couple of years ago where there was one pretty close to the house and they were like, the neighborhood might need to. So like, just be ready if if it comes any closer. And I was just like, oh my gosh, like I have to try to gather all the dogs, the cats, the turtle. How do I get the turtle with me? Like I need a bucket or something to be ready. And then our tortoise, I'm like, I'm gonna have to like get her out of wherever she is at that moment. And then how do you pack everything in your house in a few minutes, including all of the living things like me alone? I'm like, I need all the dog medications because I am a dog senior living facility. Yeah. And without them, they won't be around long. So it was just really, really scary. And then like trying to get like all the paperwork that you might need if you were to have to go anywhere. And now we have like a a folder, like ready to go of all the things that we need. Yeah. And all the medication we've learned has to be kept together in a little storage thing where it's easy to grab just in case. Because here in Arizona, during the summertime, especially, we're in the desert, things can happen very quick. I think like the only thing that I've had that is like that kind of instant thing that where you need to act immediately is we'll have tornado watches. And when we had five cats in our house, I was like, I need to be able to get Mm -hmm. five cats and a dog into the basement immediately. So like... I don't think Ben knows this. There was a tornado watch and I was like freaking out trying to get everyone down. It took me like 20 minutes. And so then I was like doing like drills in my house. Like how fast can I get these guys down here? Because I was like, it's my job. Yeah. You know, like and that's just me getting them into the basement and I was stressed out. So like it's unfathomable. My brain can't even like get to like what it would feel like to have to evacuate in that moment. And in that situation, it doesn't happen like. Oh, thank goodness. But in in this, we're like, not only is it evacuated some places you can come back to, but there's places that you couldn't, right? Because there was a tsunami. Right. And so like, there's the damage from the tsunami, right? So we're not just talking about like radiation issues. Right. So like some of these homes you might not be able to go to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really sad. It's heartbreaking. Yeah, it is. So back to Mothman sightings, though, in this area. Let's talk about Marcus Pools. He was an American citizen who was visiting Japan for work, and he was staying with a friend, and the pair of them were on the beach and then walked towards the power plant. They were relatively close to the plant when they heard a loud whoosh above them. At first, Marcus thought it was the sound of waves echoing, which, fair, they're on the beach. But the pair heard it again, followed by a piercing screech. Marcus looked at his friend who was looking at a couple who were standing nearby, and the couple looked terrified. They were looking towards the power plant. So they turned to follow their gaze and Marcus saw a silhouette of a figure sitting on one of the buildings that was illuminated in the power plant's lights. 
After perching still for a few seconds, it unfurled a massive set of black wings. The creature then took flight and circled the plant four to five times at varying speeds. As the creature flew, its gaze was towards the square building it had been perched on. Marcus later learned that this is where the reactors were. After it finished circling the building, it began flying in the direction of Marcus, his friend, and the couple. And the couple was screaming. Fair. And the man in the couple was shielding the woman and holding a jacket over his head. Marcus and his friend watched as it flew above them and it made eye contact with its glowing, unblinking red eyes. Marcus recalls that he felt an overwhelming feeling of dread, which seems like that happens every time this creature is seen. Mm -hmm. It then flew away again. But as it left, there were the loud whooshes again. Then there was silence and it was finally gone. Marcus's friend tried to take photos, but he wasn't able to capture the creature, just the dark sky. When he got back to his friend's house, they were both clearly freaked out and they were trying to rationalize what they saw, which I mean, fair. I think uh, our last Mothman episode, I talked about how we ran into Mothman while driving, what we think is Mothman. <laughs> and yeah, the whole time we're sitting there, we're like, what was it Mothman? What, what did we see? It can't be like, was it a bird? Was it a giant owl? Like what? what's happening? I mean, very fair. So they settled on agreeing that it must have been a large bird and optical illusions from the power plant lighting. They began to reconsider this theory, though, once they saw the news about what happened to the power plant. Yeah. And I think that kind of goes with the people being like, oh, he's showing up at the scene of various disasters. So then people are kind of like, well, I saw this thing. Could it have been that? And I think sometimes you're like, oh, here is a bucket for the thing that I saw that you may not have considered before. Mm hmm. So the last disaster that we're going to talk about today is probably one that you've heard of. I know I heard of it. We, we talked about it like ever so briefly in our Ditloff Pass episode, but we're going to talk about Chernobyl. And with this one, we're actually, we're going to do it a little bit backwards. We're going to talk about our Mothman sighting first, and then we're going to talk about what happened at Chernobyl and a little bit of like what's going on still. So leading up to the disaster at Chernobyl, there were several sightings of what's known as the Blackbird of Chernobyl. And some people also call him the USSR Mothman. Many of the men in the control room of Chernobyl saw a creature in the sky, and others also confirm that they saw a creature in the sky just before the explosion. And it's described as a large black creature with wings and glowing red eyes. One man named Mikhail Veritsky said he saw a ball of fiery light hovering above the exposed reactor for a couple of minutes before the explosion. Some say that they saw this fiery light on September 16th of 1989, when there was also a radiation leak at Chernobyl. And some say that the light was aliens. Clearly. So people are always going aliens, right? Yeah. Maybe Mothman's an alien. Who could say? Maybe. So we're going to talk about what happened at Chernobyl. Often the disaster itself is just kind of referred to as Chernobyl. And when I think about it, I really think of like this like kind of like post-apocalyptic scene mm -hmm. and like a place kind of from the 80s that has been reclaimed by the earth, right? And like where it's like a weather damaged place where humans just don't exist because I've seen a lot of photos from it and even before researching it. And so that's kind of the image I had in my head. Yeah. And I knew it, that it was a power plant, but I didn't quite know what had happened. And so it's located in Chernobyl, Ukraine, which is near the border of Belarus. And it was caused by a combination of poorly trained personnel and a flaw in the design of the reactor. There's also criticism for how it was handled at the onset 
because the initial reaction wasn't to protect as many people as possible from the damage. There is an HBO show called Chernobyl. And in the first scene, there's a guy making recordings of his voice. And he says, Anthony Dietloff. And I was like, what? (laughs) And I stopped. And I was like, oh, yeah. I completely forgot that one of the conspiracies with Dyatlov was that people thought that he was related to Chernobyl because there was an engineer at Chernobyl that was also named Antony Dyatlov, which is also one of the members of the Dyatlov party who went missing so many years ago and then was found. But so ultimately, Dyatlov was actually sentenced for 10 years in prison for criminal mismanagement. And what exactly happened that caused the issues that we're going to talk about in a moment was the number four RBMK reactor at the nuclear power plant went out of control when they were doing a test at low power. And this resulted in a fire that destroyed the reactor building. The cork then exploded, which caused large amounts of radiation to be released into the atmosphere. And by large amounts, we mean at least 5% of the radioactive core, which is a good amount. I think so. Yeah. And it was released into the atmosphere from the steam explosions and the fire. When the reactor exploded, there were 100 distinct radioactive elements that were released into the atmosphere. Yikes. Most reduced in radioactivity rapidly, but there were a few that lasted a little bit longer. And they each had different half-lives, like... Iodine had a half-life of eight days, which meant that people who were on the scene putting out the fires were immediately exposed to the radioactivity of of the iodine. So there was also strontium that had a half-life of 29 years, and then cesium, which has a half-life of 30 years, and it's also considered the most dangerous. And so two plant workers died the night of the accident, and I, I watched the Chernobyl show on HBO, and the dramatizations, which... Their dramatizations, but like they go through and they show what they died of and how it looked. Uh-huh. And I would imagine it would be like relatively close to what it would look like. And it looked horrific and painful and terrifying. And throughout the beginning, they're showing people throwing up blood. Ugh. Like anybody who was like close yeah. just starts like you can see like they're not feeling well, but then they just kind of like start just projectile vomiting. But yeah, it looked horrific. So there have been over 1,800 cases of children who got thyroid cancer who were between zero and 14 when the explosion occurred. Oh. So basically they were, obviously the mother was pregnant. Yeah. And that's that's a significantly higher rate than generally children get thyroid cancer. And this is linked to the iodine that was released into the atmosphere. It's horrible. So strontium can lead to leukemia and cesium can affect the entire body, but it's particularly dangerous to some of your organs like your spleen and your liver. So within a few weeks, 28 more people died from acute radiation syndrome and 134 people who had worked at the plant or were part of the cleanup were diagnosed with acute radiation syndrome. And I just want to point out, right, that dangerous to your spleen and your liver causing different types of cancers, if you left right? Like if you left the immediate area of Chernobyl Mm -hmm. and then got sick, it might not be attributed to this, right? Your death might not be attributed to having like acute radiation syndrome. Oh, okay. You see what I'm saying? Like I would imagine that the casualties are a lot higher. Right. Than what's reported. Yes. And so 350,000 people were relocated. And we talk a lot about like the physiological effects, right? But there was also lots of psychological effects that went through this. 
there were multiple suicides, higher rates of substance abuse, and people had like a greater degree of apathy, which I thought was just interesting because you don't generally see it like that. Yeah. But there were 92,000 square miles contaminated. And the 18 miles around the power plant itself are part of the exclusion zone. And not surprisingly, there were mutations in animals. And there was also animals that were born deformed. Oh, wow. Plants in the area, their leaves were started to grow in different shapes as well. So wild. That is wild. Yeah. The amount of strontium and cesium that is left in the area is tolerable if you're there for just a short period of time. And people who work there will have a personal meter on them Mm -hmm. so they can like know the levels. So people shouldn't generally be in the exclusion zone. That's why it's called what it is. But there are people who have decided to come back and live in their homes, despite there still being higher than average levels of radiation. Mm However, children are not allowed to live in the area, which, I mean, that's probably a good thing. But at this point, they are saying that there's no link between chronic low-level exposure to radiation and an increase in cancer risk. Interesting. I don't buy that. It's interesting. I'm like, how do you know that, though? Mm -hmm. Is it just because, like, no one's done it and you're going to be like, oh, we didn't know it 20 years ago, but this actually does X, Y, Z. And so, again, remember we were talking about Fukushima earlier and we're like, we don't know what effects there are going to be because... You know, we're just a little bit over a decade away from that. But so the last reactor at the Chernobyl plant shut down in 2000. And the decommissioning process of that includes the removal and disposal of waste and fuel and decontamination of the plant itself, including the soil and the water, because that might also be radioactive just because it was in proximity of it. Mm hmm. And so, like, we're getting a little bit away from our Mothman stuff. But to me, I was like, I find this fascinating and terrifying. And we often don't talk about nuclear plants and just how fucking dangerous they are to the surrounding communities. But so in less than six months after the explosion, they built a protective shelter around the reactor. And so they had thousands of people help build this structure and they called them liquidators. And they were there during the peak levels of radioactivity. And the shelter was called a sarcophagus and was made of concrete and steel. However, it began to deteriorate over time and kind of start to crumble. So it wasn't obviously as protective. And so in 2016, they put a protective structure around the sarcophagus and it's called the new safe confinement. And the idea was that there was another layer of protection. So one of the reasons why I wanted to go into a little bit more about like the radioactivity part of it is because of current events. Because in February of last year, when Russia invaded Ukraine, Russian forces took control of the Chernobyl facility in a way that can only be described as insanely reckless. They brought tanks and roughly a thousand servicemen, none of which had protective gear. They dug trenches in the radioactive soil Mm. and they created their bunks within sight of the new safe confinement that was around the reactive fort that was the one exploded. And some of the bunks were also in an area called the Red Forest, which is they named it that because they dump radioactive material there. And if I remember this right, aren't a lot of these servicemen very young, too? Yeah. Yeah. They're very, very young, like in their 20s. It's very sad. Russia was also flying aircrafts above the plant, despite the fact that it's a restricted airspace. And it didn't occur to me before I was like looking into this, that there would still be people who were working at the plant because of course there are, right? It was like, it's still a 
place that has to have like certain security measures. Those people that worked at the plant, the Russian military forced them at gunpoint to continue to work for the entire time they were there with only breaks to sleep. And they were often sleeping on like tabletops. There were about 90 people working. And one of them was Valery Semenov, who was the main security engineer. And he said that he worked 35 days straight with only three hours of sleep each night. And he pointed out that like one of the reasons why he slept so little was because he was like, I don't trust what they're doing when I'm not there. Yeah. And while Russia was occupying the Chernobyl power plant, they disconnected it from the power grid. Interesting. And so remember earlier, Amanda was talking about the reactors at Fukushima when they lost power and how they had to hook them up to generators so that the water would still circulate so that they wouldn't explode. Mm -hmm. Well, they disconnected them from electricity on purpose here. And then they were relying on diesel generators to keep the water circulating to cool the fuel rods, which like luckily nothing happened. But what a dumb thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Some soldiers stole highly radioactive items as souvenirs. Additionally, they put landmines throughout the ground in Chernobyl and set forest fires. Oh, my gosh. They also took the main server that was used to monitor radiation levels across the exclusion zone. So they don't have their historical data in the same way. They also took the personal radiation monitors for the people who worked at Chernobyl, as well as a lot of the like other ones that were in the buildings. I also saw articles where they were stealing like computer equipment and they were looting the homes of where people had used to live. And it was just like utter chaos. Russia left at the end of March. And since Russia left Chernobyl, authorities are creating anti-drone systems and anti-tank barriers. And they also have a system to detect helicopters and warplanes. And I'm adding this on as an additional note, but I don't know if you've seen this in the current world events, but most of the big powers in the world were kind of standing on the sidelines being like, we don't want to pick a side, right? We don't want to make this war drag out even longer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that is no longer the case. They are sending offensive vehicles to Ukraine and some sources are saying that tanks might be next. But fighting vehicles are those that are designed to be on the offense. So to assist a good thing all around. And so I find it interesting that, well, first off, that it's the Blackbird of Chernobyl is how people describe Mothman Mm -hmm. in this way. I don't find it altogether surprising that there would be like a different type of like way they were described, especially because people say Mothman because they've heard of Mothman. Right, right. Right. Like, that's why he goes in that bucket. Just like when we talked, I was joking with Jersey Devil earlier, but like in our Jersey Devil episode, we talked about how basically anytime somebody saw something weird, they were like, it's the Jersey Devil. And I think that when people see a flying humanoid creature that's dark with red eyes, they're like, that is Mothman. Yeah. If you don't have a name to call it, that's what's going to come to your head because that's the only thing you've heard of. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, like, I see why. I see why. Also, just kind of on topic, but since we've been talking about all these, like, nuclear disasters, did you ever watch Dark Tourist? I started watching it once and then I got distracted. It's very, very good. During one of the episodes of Dark Tourist, he goes to an area near Fukushima. And, like, it's been a while since I've watched it. I think it came out in, like, 2011. But I want to say he does, like, radiation readings and stuff throughout the area. And I'm pretty sure he made, like, the government mad doing it and, like, actually showing his results. But anyways, it is a pretty good show. It's interesting. Hmm. I also check it out again because I'm sure that's that's very interesting. And again, if you have HBO, 
the Chernobyl show is very good. It's it's obviously sad and very intense, but it's a an interesting watch. Now that we've we've ended on a a solemn note, I feel like so often people talk about oh he was seen here and he was seen there without really talking about what actually happened at these places. When we did our original Mothman episode, we truly talked about what happened at the Silver Bridge because I think that sometimes people are like, yay, Mothman, and then don't really realize like what it is that they're saying and how they're being a little bit insensitive, if you will. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Especially like with these particular stories. Yes. 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 Now, not so much when you're like, oh, I just saw it hanging around my house. It's more like when you're like, he causes disasters. And it's like, maybe, maybe not. Maybe swarming, though. Yeah, well, and, and on that same note, Lon Strickler, again, our Chicago Mothman man, uh-huh. he has said that he is a little bit worried that something's going to happen in Chicago because there's been so many sightings. So the idea that there's this many sightings, but there hasn't been anything big and bad that's happened is a little alarming. That, like, gives me chills. I'm like, I hope not. Right? I really, really hope not. That's sad. That would be scary. Yeah. Well, that was a sad Mothman episode. Hopefully the next one can be a little more exciting. To end it on a better note, you will be sharing your Mothman Levelin Frog tattoo again for everyone to see. Yes. As well as photos of Harry in the way that he's been laying with me tonight. Oh, yeah. So today was like an animal episode. We are recording. It's 11 p.m. my time. So 1 a.m. It means it's 108 over here. Yeah. (laughs) Lindsay's time. So it is out of the norm. Our animals are very upset with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but it's been a fun time still we i always love talking about mothman <laughs> any opportunity to talk about mothman we'll take it any opportunity to talk about mothman well what a time also let us know if you've heard of other disasters that you've heard of him in relation yeah to. yeah because i think that's just interesting or another cryptid which you've seen with this type of reputation i just haven't seen any others i think that are like quite like this that are so pervasive other than like a sasquatch which, like, in my brain, I'm like a bear, a big hairy man. Like, those are things that are easy like, to mistake. And I think that people, like, again, are like big hairy thing equals Sasquatch. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's a comparable thing. But they aren't they aren't like linking him to big evil things unless like you're thinking missing four one one or whatever that man is who thinks that you know what I'm talking about with like the disappearing people. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But not like big events like this. Right. So if you know any of those or if you have a cryptid that you just want us to talk about, I know we've done a few cryptid episodes, but we have lots more planned. But if there's one that stands out that you really want to hear about, email us, go to our website, get a hold of us. We'll add it to our list. Carrier pigeon. Carrier pigeon. That would be great. Anything. (laughs) And with that, have a great weekend. Thanks for creeping with us. Thanks for listening. And as always, a special thank you to our patrons who support us via Patreon. Please see the link in our show notes to learn more about how you, yes you, can begin to haunt the dump, guard vortexes, or even become a scorching Sasquatch. Also in our show notes, you can find the link to our website, more information on our sources, our social media handles, and our merch store. We'd love for you to keep creeping with us. So if you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the show with your fellow creeps and or ghosts. I beg of you. (laughs) Speaking of animals, we had to stop the recording at one point because a random cat I've never seen in my life was standing outside my window screaming. So obviously I brought it a bed and food and water outside. And also, Amanda picked up this strange cat as well. Oh, she was absolutely. like, do you need me to hold you like a baby? Oh, absolutely. I did. Yeah. And then um, I found out I was very allergic to that cat. 
and then had to change and wash my face and, you know, take an antihistamine. So, yeah. So what we're saying is Amanda might get real weird or real tired. I assume it's a young person, right? A student had been chased. Anyone can be a student. I'm a student of life. You know what? No, I'm thinking it's like a (laughs) 12-year-old boy. Okay. Oh, oh. Amanda, always with a 12-year-old boy on 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 her mind. (laughs) Her unit of measurement. (laughs) All right. So let's talk about something else. Another disaster. Also, ASMR from Harry, his purr. 